0: sixty-three, 1 through 8 and I'm reading from the New Living Translation uh, Psalm 63 1 to 8 A Psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah O God, you are my God, I earnestly seek for you My soul thirsts for you, my whole body longs for you In this parched and weary land where there is no water I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night Because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spring Garden. My name is Greg. I've got a couple uh, little announcements first. Just to let you know, I, um, I pulled my back the other day. And it's kind of hurting today. So if I suddenly sound like I'm getting all charismatic with some hoots and hollers, uh, that's, I, even though I appreciate uh, worshiping in that way, it's probably more pain than uh, celebration. But uh, And I also, uh, usually with a shirt this long, I tuck it in, but I couldn't quite. Gabe, do you want to come tuck my shirt in for me? No, I'm just I'm just kidding. The other announcement is much more... Um, Pleasurable, as that, and I'm pretty sure it's public because I saw it on Facebook now, is that Sam Chase is engaged to Sarah uh, or SJ. So that's very exciting. So uh, Sam's not here today with you. So if you're watching this, Sam, congratulations. I mean, I've told you already, but uh, anyway, so that's very exciting. And uh, I wanted to share that with his uh, community. So the psalm. You are my God, you God are my God, I earnestly seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. i had forgotten how much I love this psalm until I was preparing for this morning and I saw that it is the psalm that is being read uh, in many different church traditions all over the world today. And this psalm has always stirred in me a desire and a longing for God, for a relationship with God that, quite frankly, I've never had. It kind of reminds me of a lyric that hundreds of worship songs have in them, you're all I want. CCLI, which is the organization, it's a copyright organization that allows us to have legal use of the songs that we sing on Sunday, and it also is spo- it helps to get uh, money to the songwriters. Um, so they have, like, you know, a- every song that's being sung in churches in their database, and they have 984 songs with that exact lyric in it. And I hate all 984 <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't hate them. In fact, I've some of them I've really enjoyed uh, over the years, but I just can't sing that line without feeling like a sham. Like a liar, like a hypocrite. Can you sing you are all God, you are all that I want? Can you honestly say that God is all that you want? That you have no desire for anything, anything but God. Now, if you can, that's amazing, (laughs) and I'm truly happy for you. (laughs) For the other 99.99999% of us, I think if we're being honest, we can't really say that God is all that we want. I think the closest, for me, the closest I can get is to say, you know, at the best of times, say, God, you are all I want. To want, or perhaps I want to want that you are all that I want. (laughs) That would be a true and honest cry of worship for me because it is something that I desperately want to want with all of my wanting. God is infinite and unfailing love, the beauty behind and in all beauty. Everything that is good is but a glimpse of a shadow of a speck of an iota of God's goodness. And there is nothing worth wanting more than God. And it makes sense that God would be all that I want. But I am human and I am divided. And so this psalm speaks to me of the longing that is in my heart to want to want God above all else. The desire to desire nothing but the love of God, which is better than life. But it's also a reminder to me of what is really true of me and, and I think of all of humanity. That while I may not fully feel like it's true that my whole being longs for God, and while I have desires and I have attachments to other things that I do long for, the reality, I think, is that my whole being does, in fact, Long for God. As this psalm says, though some English translations translations miss this, it says, my nefesh, which is the Hebrew word, my soul. But the, in the Hebrew, this word for soul is also the word for throat. My soul thirsts. My soul thirsts. It's a word picture that we don't see when our English translations just say soul or sometimes they just say I thirst. It's my soul thirst. Well, of course your soul thirsts because this is the part that gets thirsty, right? Our throats. My soul thirsts, my flesh, my body, this physical substance of who I am longs for God. The physical and the spiritual, the wholeness of our being longs and thirsts for God's, For God. And all of us, all of our being does long for God. We do need God, even if we don't see it, or if we don't feel it, or even if we don't want it. God is the true source. He's the true object and consummation of all of our deepest longings and our desires. And we just... Well, again, I should say I just, I can't speak for you, just get distracted and misaligned and even deformed in my misplaced attempts to fill those desires with finite and empty things. And sometimes these distractions and these deforming patterns and rhythms, they start out very small. Well, and sometimes they don't even start small as deforming. Sometimes they actually start from a positive place where it isn't drawing me away from God, per se, and it may even stem from a God-given desire. Now, up to this point, I've been, so I've been nebulously abstract, by which I mean a cloud of unhelpful gas. My kids complain about my nebulous abstractions all the time, particularly when they're trapped in the car with the windows up. But anyway, a little a smart fart joke for you. Have you ever had the experience where you kind of you, you look up from what you've been doing and all of a sudden you realize you've just spent a lot of time zoned in on something and you lost track of time? Like, all of a sudden you've realized you've just spent 20 minutes doing this, right? Scrolling through social media. When originally you only went on to see whose birthday it was today, And then all of a sudden, somehow, 20 minutes has passed, or more, let's be honest. Or have you ever watched two or three episodes of a show, and now it's way past when you should have gone to bed? Monica and I are terrible at this. We actually gave up uh, weeknight TV shows for Lent. Um, Because how many times you're like, let's just watch one show, and then it just starts again. You know, it starts right in the next episode. And next thing you know, you're tired, it's past bedtime, and as hopefully at this point we know some of the science behind binging. It actually makes our sleep worse, harder to fall asleep. It affects our body in all kinds of negative ways. There's all that stuff going on. Or perhaps you keep adding purchases to your online shopping cart or physical shopping cart. You only went in to get one thing, but all of a sudden your cart has got a whole bunch of stuff that somehow seems amazing now even though you'd never thought of it before. <laughs> Or perhaps you get sucked into this rabbit hole of news articles about the latest event or obsessed and overwhelmed by what's happening in the world. I think many of us, if not most of us, have had these experiences where we are watching or reading about current events or enjoying a movie or show or shopping. And these things in and of themselves are not bad things. In fact, they can be very good when they're in the right priority and they are in healthy rations. But it's when they move on the trajectory of being something we intentionally choose to something that we just do to a consuming obsession that is a pathway that pulls us more and more away from wanting to want God as a main priority in our lives to becoming a side to wanting God as a side issue as we binge on news and shopping and movies and never-ending social scrolling, scrolling social media. Are you familiar with the term binge-watching? How many here have heard the term binge-watching? Okay, so most of us. Binge-watching is a term that started becoming well-known in about 2013, thanks to movie and television streaming apps like Netflix. Binge-watching is when you watch something, entertainment like movies or TV shows or YouTube videos for a really long period of time. When you watch multiple episodes of a TV show or back-to-back movies in a series. Now, some of you may remember this, but way back when I was a youth, (laughs) we wanted to watch movies. When we wanted to watch movies back-to-back, we would have to do something called renting a movie. I know some of us here don't know what that means. We had to walk 10 kilometers in a blizzard with no boots (laughs) to get to a blockbuster video I'm just kidding. I'm trying to sound like all those weren't hours of kid stories. I didn't have to actually do that. Well, I did have to walk to the uh, Blockbuster video, but there was work involved. If you wanted to, say, plan a day to watch the Star Wars trilogy, not that I've ever done that like eight times, you had to make long-term plans with friends. You had to find a house that had a TV big enough and a VCR or a DVD or Blu-ray. To, you had to go to the store to rent it, and then you had to settle in for what we call a movie marathon, right? Today all you need to do is have Wi-Fi and a friend with Disney Plus, or 10 bucks on your credit card. One of the results of most homes having streaming to a large-screen TV is that most of our movie marathons are actually no longer in community. <laughs> right? We used, they used to be parties with friends, but now we simply settle in on our couches and watch hours and hours of a time, sometimes day after day. Now, before you think I'm too grumpy of an old man, I do want to point out that I love movies and TV shows. If you want to talk to someone about a movie or a TV show, I'm the person. I love them. I love stories being brought to life on the screen. I love entering worlds of characters and plot and adventure And love, in ways that expands our over multiple episodes. I love creativity and beauty and the thrill and the action and the heartbreak and the depth of humanity that is put into the art of a great TV show or a movie. Back in seminary, I had a theology professor who, all of his classmates, he made read fiction because. His understanding, and I agree, artists have a way of portraying the depths of humanity in ways that academics just can't. And so I think this is true of storytelling in other mediums as well. There can be goodness in the joy of entering these stories, fiction or real. And it is a gift of artistry that I think comes from the great artist, from our creator God. But if you ever paused to even just think about the term binge-watching? Many of us hear the term binge-watching, or now on Netflix it's binge-worthy, and we just think of it as kind of a neutral term, or even as a positive term. When we see binge-worthy, it makes us go, oh, this must be worthy, right? This must be something that's worth watching, because, well, it is worthy. <laughs> but there was a time... <laughs> Back when I was a kid, no. Binge wasn't a neutral or a positive word. The word binge means an act of excessive or compulsive consumption. Excessive or compulsive consumption. And now we just go, oh, I can't wait to excessively and compulsively consume (laughs) without even thinking about it. And here's where I think the longings of our des- and desires of our hearts that we began in Psalm 63 meets with our patterns of finding ourselves consumed with or perhaps even consumed by our binging of TV and movies and social media, of shopping and of the news. And by the way, just to highlight, binge watching isn't just about entertainment. It is also a term that's used when we watched information content like news, videos, and articles for long periods of time. Excessive or compulsive consumption. I want to introduce you to a word that, for me, is helpful in thinking about God and the place of binge-watching in our lives. And that word is liturgy. Now, most of us, when we hear the word, we think of it in the context of a worship gathering. We usually, when someone says liturgy, many of us automatically think, oh, that's a prayer that, you know, will be on the screen and we're going to read it all together, or do a back and forth thing. That's what we think of as liturgy. But the word actually means much more than that. Uh, In in Scripture, it's a word that means the work of the people. It is a form or a rhythm of worship. We actually see it in every church. Even non-traditional churches have a rhythm. They have a liturgy. Churches that say they don't have a liturgy, And usually because they're thinking the word liturgy means some pre-written content that you have to kind of legalistically stick to. But if you were to join one of those churches for worship three or four times, you'd be able to see the patterns and the rhythms of how they worship together week after week. And that is their liturgy. That is their rhythm of worship. And the rhythm of our worship, the liturgies of our lives, is both a work of the people, As in the liturgy of our life is what and how we craft and practice worship in our lives. But worship liturgy is both work of the people, but it is also a work of God. For God is the one who initiates and sustains and is ever present to us and who initiates our worship of him. God is always present with us, working and speaking and sustaining and initiating, but our response and participation is a necessary part for the rhythms of our lives to become expressions of worship, to be liturgies of worship to God as opposed to liturgies of worship to binge-worthy slash unworthy things. When we reflect on so, as our live, lived lives reveal personal liturgies and these rhythms of how we worship throughout a day or a week or a season, and of course, a big question is what do our rhythms, what do our patterns and our priorities reveal as priority in our lives? When we reflect on what we binge on, does it reveal that we want to want God? Or does it reveal that we are consumed or obsessed with things other than God? Again, this reflection isn't about whether it's okay to watch TV or read the news or scroll through social media. It is about our relationship to it and our relationship with God. And the things we do over and over again, our habits, our repetitive behaviors, whether we realize it or not, they are forming us. Well, they are forming us, or they are deforming us, depending on which way we are being pulled. And like those moments where we catch ourselves having been stuck to our screens for prolonged period of time, when we find ourselves simply doing something that we never even intended to, it is because we have practiced it. We have practiced it over and over. And as you know, practice makes progression, <laughs> or practice makes regression. We've solidified an unhealthy behavior through practice to the extent that we just do it automatically without even thinking. And this, of course, is what binge companies want us to do. All of these devices and apps, there's a reason why the next show of a series just starts automatically after 15 seconds. They know we're just going to, well, let's be honest, we're not going to wait the 15 seconds. We're going we're gonna to participate by hitting skip, even though we don't have to. We've solidified these unhealthy patterns. And as author James K.A. Smith writes in, in a book called You Are What You Love, he says there is no formation without repetition. Repetition is the way to formation. It is also a way to deformation, just a little here, just a little there, just a little more, and on and on. And when we think about the ways that we binge on news and social media and entertainment, Are our repetitive behaviors forming us in ways of Jesus, or are they deforming us into obsessive consumers? We can participate in news and TV and media in ways that don't deform us, but are we doing that intentionally? Do our patterns and rhythms proclaim a life liturgy of seeking and thirsting after God? Every year during Lent, many of us wrestle with this idea of giving something up. And as I said before, Lent isn't, isn't that you have to give something up. But we'll say things like, well, God wants us to have joy, to have fullness of life. So giving something up, you know, is kind of going against what God wants for us, right? Which I would say is true. But a balance we need to keep in mind is that true joy and true fullness of life doesn't happen without intentionality. It doesn't just happen without choosing. It doesn't just happen without hard decisions to turn from what is easy to what is fruitful. To turn from excessive and compulsive consumption towards God is not an easy thing. And I'd be lying if I said it was easy or that I have the the clue to master this thing. It does require sacrifice and self-denial. And it's these things that lead to deeper joy. As I was thinking about this, Jesus' words in John chapter 17 came to mind. And this is shortly before he was betrayed, Jesus prayed this for everyone who is to follow him. So that includes us. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but yet you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them. The sanctify means to make holy or to make pure. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. We are called to be in the world, which means we are not meant to be hidden from everything. So we're not meant to hide in our homes with the screens off, is not what Jesus is saying. But we are to be engaged meaningfully and transformationally in the world which is, means enjoying the beauty, and the, but also intentionally being aware of what is happening in the world so that we can be a place of peace and justice and mercy. The opposite danger of binging is hiding. And God has not called us to do either, but to live in a transformational way in the world, but not of the world. We are called to enjoy the beauty and intentionally live aware of what is happening so that we can bring peace and justice and mercy and love and beauty into the world. This also means we are not to be bought into the world but to ex- and then and simply accept it like zombies binging as if it's a virtue. Speaking of Jesus' prayer that we would be sanctified, which again means to be made holy or to be made pure in love, James Smith writes this. Our sanctification, our being made pure in love, the process of becoming holy and Christ-like is more like a Weight Watchers program than listening to books on tape. Tape is an old-school version of an MP3 or an you know, audio book. On for those who don't know. It means changing what I want, and that requires submitting ourselves to disciplines and regimens that reach down into our deepest habits. The Spirit of God meets us in that space, that gap, not with lightning bolts of magic, but with concrete practices of the body of Christ that conscript our bodily habits. If we want to want God, we need to participate in changing our wants. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit is working within us, is ever-present with us to encourage and to strengthen us. But we need to participate intentionally in this change of patterns and repetitions. And so I think that Lent is a season, but also as a practice— or even as just as an idea of the way of living in sacrificial living for Jesus, it helps us to break free of unhealthy, repetitive behaviors and understandings. It gives space in our very being for the Holy Spirit to do a work of reshaping our habits. When we engage in pausing and giving something up, in rethinking our relationships to our default behaviors and attachments, it helps us to be active participants in our growth rather than simply being pulled to wherever our misaligned practiced habits will take us. And this, I think, is one of the ways we see how sacrifice in the spirit leads actually to true freedom. When we think we are free because we do whatever we feel like, we aren't truly free because we are actually being pulled and driven by our habits and our repetitive behaviors These patterns and behaviors have carved pathways in our neural networks. There are pathways in our brains that every time we do something, it solidifies that pathway. So we think we're doing something out of freedom of choice, but what we're really doing is we're just being led down a path that we've carved out hundreds of times with just, just one more. It won't hurt if. This is my last one. Carving the paths in our brain. So in order for us to carve out new pathways, it actually requires effort and intentionality. If we truly want to want God, if we truly want to seek God, to thirst for God, to hunger for God, in a way that is in line with what I think is our deepest and truest hunger and thirst, if we want to behold God's love that is better than life, If we want to be satisfied in God, we need to change our patterns of compulsive binging by developing new patterns and rhythms that place God of the universe in the center of our longings and our desires. Jen Johnson, in her book, Abundant Simplicity, writes that the opposite of living intentionally as a response of God's longing is living on autopilot, which means doing whatever occurs to us without pausing to consider what we really want. But disciplines of abstinence interrupts automatic actions. Abstinence is in not doing something, giving something up for a period of time. So let us find ways in our lives to interrupt these automatic actions with rhythms that silence the noise. That trains our impulses and that helps us to live intentionally as people who want want to want God above all else. Of course, this is going to look differently for us, but I'd like to give two spiritual practices that may help. The first is communal worship. Now, the fact that, you know, you're either staring at me or listening online or even falling asleep in the room, I guess, still speaks of this. (laughs) Means, it means that on some level, or maybe even just for today, you've chosen to participate in communal worship. Smith writes, worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts. The way in which God reforms our desires and rehabituates, which is to change our habits or make new habits, rehabituates our loves, Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. When we choose to come together for communal worship, we choose to make it an intentional rhythm of our week. It helps break the cycle of repetition. It reminds us of what is true. It reminds us of who is true. That God is true to us and true to all of creation and God's unfailing restorative love. And as we come to worship God in community, God uses this time to retrain and to recalibrate our hearts, to direct our habits towards divine love. So good for you. You, You're training yourself right now. (laughs) I was going to say, make a joke. You're also training yourself in perseverance because your eyes are still open, but maybe you're binging on something you watched last night in memories that I'm talking about. A second spiritual practice I find challenging but helpful in interrupting my patterns of autopilot compulsive consumption is simply pause (laughs) to remind myself of what I want to be my greatest desire. Whenever I'm going to engage in something bingey, or when I catch myself in the midst of compulsive binging, like scrolling through social media or following the clickbait and news articles that just leads you to more articles and videos, Or letting that next episode countdown approach zero. To simply pause and say a prayer like Psalm 63. To to break that moment of repetitive behavior to pause. And think, oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. And in that moment, invite God to join you. God, is this something that will give joy? Will it increase me in compassion or mercy or love for the world or for my neighbor? Will this fill a real need that I have? Or will it simply suck into more consumption that leaves me feeling even more blah than I already do? And inviting God into it, maybe the answer is yes, enjoy it. Maybe the answer will be, actually, (laughs) go to bed. (laughs) Sometimes all we need to do is a little disruption for God to remind us of what's true so that our living liturgy of rhythms and patterns may be for the living God rather than for empty compulsive consumption. That by the Spirit of God, our habits and repetitions may more and more form and transform our wants from what is unworthy to what is worthy. The wide and long and high and deep love of Christ. That is more than we ask or imagine. I just want to end with uh, reading uh, the psalm once again. Oh God. <clears throat> you are our God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary, in the holy place, and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you, and on my bed at night I will remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. And your right hand holds me up. Amen.